So, oh, there we go. Uh, so here we are in Nehemiah chapter seven. For those who are new or this is your first time, my name's Matt. I'm the leader of Telford Minster. Uh, and it's such a joy for you to be here and for us all to be gathered in God's presence. Um, but before I get into Nehemiah, if you've got a Bible with you, do you want to quickly turn to Song of Songs chapter two? Uh, this wasn't quite prepared, but I think the Lord might be saying something. Song of Songs, chapter 2. And uh, verse 8. Listen, my beloved. Look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through our windows, peering through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, arise, my darling. My beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling. My beautiful one, come with me. And as Kevin was praying earlier, I just had a sense of the Lord saying this over us. Saying this over you, saying this over me, saying this over us and over Telford. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, Come with me. I was uh, praying with uh, our staff team that we do on a Tuesday and a Wednesday and a Thursday. And uh, not this Thursday, but the Thursday before, I was encountered with this, uh, what can only be described as a vision of Jesus standing in front of us. And in front of me, there in my study, grabbing both of my hands and saying, come, follow me. Stood in front. Normally, the Lord's there going, come on, go that way, go that way, come on, you're not listening, go that way. But here, the Lord, standing in front of us, both hands outstretched, holding mine and holding ours, saying, come with me in the face of whatever we're going through at this point in our time, in our lives, that's what he's saying over us. Come with me, my darling. Come away with me. Maybe you need to hear that today. Maybe that's the word of the Lord that he's saying to you here and now. Come away with me. 
The winter is past. The springtime has come. In our lives as a church, it's maybe felt a bit like winter all these months through COVID, all these times sat on Zoom, all these things that we wish we could have done. But have a sense of God saying the winter is over. Time of singing has come. The winter is past. But there's still that word, arise, my darling, come with me. Come with me. Father, we want to go with you. Holy Spirit, would you lead us? Lord, would you take us by the hand and lead us where you want us to go? That you say over us that we are your beloved. The winter is past. The springtime has come. Lord, would we place our hands in yours and follow you where you lead. Amen. Well, I think there'll probably be some ministry at the end about that, but uh, we're going to move into Nehemiah. And we see right at the beginning of Nehemiah, he is captured by a call of God in his life. I wonder if it's a, it's a little bit of that, come my fair one, my beloved, come with me. And he's led to pray and to seek God's face and to mourn and weep over the destruction of Jerusalem. He then goes to the king and says, I want to rebuild the gates of Jerusalem, the walls that have been walls and gates that have been burnt by fire and the king of the time the biggest empire in the world the Babylonian empire and the king says go on and by the way I'll give you wood and I'll give you a letter uh, to all the governors of the trans-Euphrates if you're a geography nerd like me the fertile crescent all the way from Babylon down towards the Mediterranean and then down into Israel the fertile crescent he says to all those governors let these people through. Then Nehemiah gets to Jerusalem and he walks around the walls at night to see what the damage is. And then he sets the people to work in chapter uh, three and chapter four. And then of course, there's a bunch of people that are then opposed to the rebuilding of Jerusalem because they are in charge and they don't want this restoring to come. And then where we are today is that the gates and the walls are done. They are finished. Have a look in uh, Nehemiah chapter 7 verse 1 to 6. It says this, after the walls have been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place. It's a bit of a a fudge. If that was me, I'd be going, woohoo! It's done! 
the building work has done, what we set out to do is done. Let's have a party. But that's not kind of what gets done here, is it? I'd be going, come on, party time. Let's break out the bubbly. Because there's been that huge journey all the way from the citadel of Susa, the nighttime uh, assessing and the rebuilding, uh, the building with spears and swords in hand, the opposition, the emotional, the physical, the political battles that have, uh, that have been in place, and now it's done, the walls are built, it's time to party. Not quite yet, because there's still some work to be done, isn't there? There is still the work to be done. Why? Well, there's a little bit of a hint uh, in verse 4 and afterwards. Now, the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not been rebuilt. So my God put into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, the common people for registration by families, and I found these genealogies. Why? Why is that so important? So the walls have been rebuilt, the gates have been set in place, but Jerusalem is still a ruin without the people. <laughs> Jerusalem is still a ruin without the people. See, we can build all of these things and it's great, but it's not for a, a city, it's not just for uh, the protection of ruins. No, it's for the people. That Jerusalem is not just a city about walls and gates and doors and a citadel, a, a fortress in the middle. No, it's a city for people. I think if we lose sight of the people in uh, the actions of God, we've lost the plot. It's all about the people. Why? Why the people? Because Jerusalem is the city of God. Zion, the place in which his very presence inhabits. And the people need to be there to worship. Jerusalem is about the people and it's about God. The people make the city, not the buildings or what encloses it. The people. I think for us, we can build the most flashy church. We could build the most extraordinary buildings. But unless people walk through the doors, it's useless. Absolutely useless. And might I be so bold as to say that sometimes we've gotten the focus wrong, at least in the Church of England, where we've been too focused on the buildings that we've lost sight of the people. That we've been too focused on the buildings that we've lost sight of what God's doing. You know, the buildings we build, it's for God and it's for the people of the places where we are. So what does Nehemiah then do? Well, he appoints two sets of people in uh, 7 verse 1. He appoints the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites. Why the gatekeepers? 
because they need some security. You know, this is a, a place that uh, there are wild beasts, there are people who want to challenge the, the rule and reign of God and the people of God in that place. They want to be God rather than God be God. And so we need that security to not let anyone in or out that doesn't belong to God's people. And secondly, is for the worship. The Levites and the musicians are there to worship God. And so here we go again. Why are the, why the security? Why the gatekeepers? Because there'll be people there that need looking after. And why the musicians and the Levites? To restore worship. They both go hand in hand. The practical, the, the, the safety, the, uh, the protecting of the people is as important as the worshipping of God and they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. You can't have the practical without the worship and nor can you have the worship without the practical. I, uh, when I was in Milton Keynes, uh, we had this event that was going to be put on. J. John, a well-known evangelist and apologist, was coming to do uh, something in a big uh, church called St. Mary's Woburn, and this building was huge. It was difficult to see the other side of it. It's almost as though it was that big. And uh, the thing is, is that it only had four plug sockets in it. You can imagine. Okay, we're going to squeeze 600 people into this building and there's four plug sockets. What on earth do we do? And, uh, you know, we thought, okay, God, you're calling us to do this. Let's get stuck in, but we just don't know what to do. And we had to ask for some help. Because with four plug sockets, barely any lighting, no sound system, how on earth are we going to get all of these people into a building and hear what God has to say to us? So we asked for help and there was someone with a generator and there was someone with a sound system and there was someone to, to look after the car park and there was someone to do all these practical things that meant we could hear what God was saying. And praise the Lord, almost 100 people came to faith that night. See, the practical and the spiritual have to happen hand in hand. Could you imagine if we had the most fantastic worship band in the world? Which we do have, okay. <laughs> Don't worry, it's all right. But yeah, we didn't have someone to come and set the chairs up or to get the place ready or to hoover or to do the words or, or to set up the kids' work up there. Could you imagine? It would, it would be great, but we'd be missing so much. The practical and the theological and the worship need to happen hand in hand. So what else does Nehemiah do in this bit? He appoints some trusted leaders. He appoints some trusted leaders. Well, we've got Hanani, his brother, he calls him. This was the person right in Nehemiah 1 that brought the word to Nehemiah, hey, the walls are broken down and the gates are burned with fire. He was the one who brought the word. He was trusted. And sometimes we forget that. Here we are, seven chapters down the line, tens of years down the line, and we forget that this guy, Hanani, was the one who kind of was the catalyst for change. And here Nehemiah works with Hanani 
and says, you're trusted, and appoints him and someone else. Why Hanani? Well, he probably knew Jerusalem really well to go back and say, hey, the walls are broken down and the gates burnt with fire. He must have known Jerusalem well, and he was trusted because he was his brother. Who else? We've then got Hananiah as well, the commander of the citadel. Wow. High-ranking military official here. He is trusted. He was trained. He had integrity. And what? He fears God more than most people do. Isn't that a good marker of a leader? Someone who fears God more than they fear people. Here's the commander of the citadel, the fortress in Jerusalem, the military might of the city. He was in charge of it. And he's saying, I fear God more than I fear them. And our brains are melting. So he appoints these two people in, uh, in charge of Jerusalem. Well, the question we need to ask ourselves is why? Why these guys? Why these two people? Why Nehemiah's so-called brother, Hanani? And why Hananiah, the commander of the citadel? Well, one, because Nehemiah has something else to do. <laughs> Remember, the task has been completed. The task for Nehemiah was to rebuild the walls and to set the gates in place. Okay? So he's got something else to do. He's got to govern. He becomes the governor of, uh, of Israel and Judah in that part uh, under, under Artaxerxes. And he also returns to Nebuchadnezzar. So he can't be there to look after to Jerusalem the whole time because he's got stuff to do. He's got to govern and he has to go back to the king's table. He returns to Nebuchadnezzar. So there we go. He's got things to do and the task was completed. But he leaves these two guys with some instructions. Don't open the gates until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them and appoint residents as guards. Three instructions. Don't open the gates. While they're on duty, have them bar the doors and appoint the residents as guards. Why? Because it's still not safe. There are people outside who still want to come in and take control. They want to take the glory for themselves rather than give God the glory. And so there are still the, as we discovered through the weeks, there are still the Geshims, the Sanballats, and the Tobias who want to come and destroy what God has set in place. If you're going to attack, you know, this is a Middle Eastern uh, city, it's hot during the day. It's roasting. Has anyone ever been to Jerusalem? Yeah. It's hot, isn't it? Yeah. So open the gates when it's really hot because no army is going to come and attack when it's the middle of the day. And when it starts to get cold, while well, they're still on duty, get them to close the gates and bar them so that no one can come in in the cool of the day. And why set uh, guards from the people? Well, everyone gets to play a part in the security of the new thing that has been rebuilt. Everyone's got a stake in it, not just the people who are appointed, 
But the people who are going to be making Jerusalem their home, they are all part of the security of what's going on. For us, guess what? It's still not safe. Even though we might build this big thing that God is doing in Telford, guess what? There's still going to be people. There are still the supernatural that are going to be wanting to come in and take the glory away from God and onto themselves. We're always going to get that. Always going to get that. It's why we need to run back into the presence of God. It's why we have to come back. Arise, my darling, come with me. Because if we lose that, we lose sight of what he's doing. And then what goes on next? Then there's a list of really, really important names. Now, my old church used to really, really get cross with me because I love all these names in the Bible. They are there for a really, really important reason. Most of us fall asleep during them. But this list of names is mentioned twice in the scriptures. It must be really important. Could you imagine in uh, 3,000 years' time, we read, and Helping to rebuild Telford Minster was Kevin Roberts and Sarah Robel and Kathy Penny and James Sheen. Could you imagine? That's what's happened here. See, what's happened is, is he's gone back and looked at the story of the rebuilding of Jerusalem, the walls and its gates, and said, who's come to help? And all these people have come back to Jerusalem from exile to go, we're going to rebuild this. These were the first people to return to Jerusalem from the exile. All of us have got our names in the story of Telford Minster, whether you like it or not. Isn't that fun? I hope that in 2,000 years, we aren't still reading the names because the Lord has returned. Just putting it out there. But if so, guess what? Your names are going to be written into the story of Telford people from Telford itself, people from uh, Dudley, people from Milton Keynes, people from wherever you are from have come to see the story of what God is going to do in this place. Isn't that cool? And yes, we might say, right, well, the giving. Kevin gave us 6,720 donkeys. Maybe not. But these little things are so important because their lives are real. This is the stuff of real life. They gave this much cash. They gave these garments 50 bowls. Why on earth you would need 50 bowls? I have no idea. There were probably more than 50 people there, as we can see. So why only 50 bowls? But hey. But these are the things of real life that people gave and people contributed to the rebuilding of Jerusalem. So what are the things we can learn from this? Firstly, like Jerusalem, the building of the church is not for the sake of the building, it's for the sake of the people. When we lose sight of that, we're in trouble. When we lose sight of all that we are building at Telford Minster, if it's just for ourselves and for our own name, we are sunk and you have got the permission to shoot me. The call of God is never to a building 
or a rebuilding, but to the people. Secondly, we need trusted people to help us with the work. You are all trusted people. I've met some of you for the first time today. Guess what? You are trusted people. Are you going to be part of the rebuilding? There's a list of them. These people are trusted people. There's Hanani and Hananiah that were there to help, yes, who were given specific charge of Jerusalem, yes. And we need some of those too. But all of us who are trusted people are part of the rebuilding. Even if it's the one for security, to look after, to safeguard, to pray and see the kingdom of God come. Because we need each and every one of us to be praying, God, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. And the enemy, get out. Can we trust you with the work? Some of it will be practical. Some of it will be the barring of the gates and getting things ready. Some of it might be the more spiritual, the, the leading and preaching and the kids' work and the youth work and worship and all sorts of things. Making coffee is the most spiritual thing in the church, I'm just saying, at least in my book. Preach it. Yeah. There's some practical things that we need to do, but there's also some spiritual things we need to do because we don't want to lose sight of what God's doing. And in a couple of months' time, we're going to have a finished building. The work will be finished in the practical sense. But there's work to be done and there's work to start doing because we haven't seen all of Telford come to know Jesus yet. That's my prayer. That's our prayer. We won't stop until we see all of Telford knowing Jesus. Whether they want to or not. (laughs) Because that's the task of rebuilding. The rebuilding continues and continues and continues until Jesus' return. It'll only stop when Jesus comes again. There will be opposition. There will be people opposition and there will be supernatural enemy opposition. So we've got to get praying. We've each got part of the duty to put the bars in place, to close the doors when the sun starts to get cool or whatever. We want the blazing heat of God's presence with us all the time. So are we up for it? Are we up for it? Good. Three, five, ten of us are up for it. Because when the work is done, we need the, the real work then begins to, and it starts now. Remember, it's for the people. It's not for the sake of the building. Shall we stand?